Welcome everyone to the Cell Culture Dish podcast, the applications and impact of CRISPR-Cas9 in bioprocessing. I'm Brandi Sargent, editor of the Cell Culture Dish. Today, I'm joined by Fen Ling Wong, director of cell line development and protein sciences, and Zane Starkey-Wolf, director of corporate development from Wuxi Biologics. I'm excited to be speaking with both of you today about CRISPR-Cas9 technology and its possibilities in the discovery and development of biopharmaceuticals. We will also conduct a deep dive on its potential impact on bioprocessing and biomanufacturing. Welcome Fenling and Zane to the podcast. Thank you, Brandy. Glad to be here. Thank you, Brandy. Before we get too far, and because of our audience is quite diverse with regards to their experiences in the life sciences, Fenling, could you please provide some background on CRISPR-Cas9 as a molecular biology gene editing tool? Yeah, sure. So uh, CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing system is actually adapted from a natural prokaryotic defense mechanism to bacteriophage. To simplify what CRISPR-Cas9 system can do is to cleave the phage DNA once it has been incorporated into the bacterial genome so that to keep the phage from reproducing. CRISPR is actually an acronym that stands for Clusters of Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats, and Cas9 is the most well-researched variant of the class of Cas nucleus, which has been used within the gene editing function. So I think the research community have actually adapted this mechanism to revolutionize how we perform the genetic modifications, uh, not only in prokaryotic, but also eukaryotic cells since the system was first published. And Zane, I know from our previous conversations that you were saying that CRISPR-Cas has an intriguing origin. Would you be able to elaborate? Yes, interesting research can be found on CRISPR that dates back to the late 80s. Uh, Other work has been conducted throughout the first decade of the 2000s. However, it wasn't until 2012 that two pivotal research papers were published in the journal Science, one by Jennifer Doudna of UC Berkeley and Manuel Charpentier of the University of Vienna, and then another in PNS by Drs. Graciunas and Sixnis at Vilnius University all demonstrating the use of bacterial CRISPR-Cas9 as a simple programmable gene editing tool. But I know that the story doesn't stop there, does it? No, it certainly does not. In less than a year in 2013, the labs of Dr. Feng Zhang and Luo Chong of the Broad Institute at MIT and Dr. George Church's lab at Harvard reported success in adapting CRISPR-Cas9 for genome editing in eukaryotic cells in both mouse and human cells. And I know that we could really spend an entire podcast just on the history of CRISPR. So I want to just stay focused on the technology here. There has been a lot of excitement since its discovery about this molecular biology tool. Can you explain why? Sure. The uh, remarkable functionality of this tool is that it allows scientists to target specific locations within the genetic code of an organism to cut out or replace a segment of DNA. Due to the high specificity and exactness of the utility, the applications have far-reaching potential, and thus it has already become a molecular toolbox game-changer in many fields of life science because it enables efficient, cost-effective, and precision gene editing that has a wide utility for development of biological therapeutics, including cell and gene therapy, disease modeling, diagnostics, agriculture, industrial biology, and more. 
And this has me thinking uh, just about alternatives to CRISPR-Cas altogether. Um, are there other ways to edit genomes? And if so, what makes uh, CRISPR-Cas so much better? Great question, Brandy. Many of the other gene editing systems utilized today, such as zinc finger nucleases, Tauens, the use of meganucleases, or other viral vectors like AAV, when compared with CRISPR-Cas9, are in the end very complex and time-intensive, often requiring many more steps and thus are more costly as well. Also, and this may be its greatest benefit, is that CRISPR-Cas9 has a low off-target effects profile, which again, makes it an ideal gene editing tool. Just to follow along with that, I've read many uh, recent advances using CRISPR technologies. Could you elaborate a little bit on those? The advances are extensive and continue as we speak. One example includes CRISPR-A and CRISPR-I, which are techniques to up and down regulate gene expression using dead Cas9. Dead Cas9 removes the nuclease capability of Cas9, but still allows for the targeted binding to a double-stranded DNA sequence of interest using the highly specific guide RNA that is one of the cornerstones of CRISPR genome editing. I'd also like to add that another application is using CRISPR for homology-directed repel, or so-called HDR. So this technique, in simple terms, can repel a double-stranded DNA break, which is very important for genome stability. But what does the CRISPR-mediated HDR can do is that it can not only to repel a break, but also create the break and then replace it with a small mutation or other larger sequences. So these techniques have actually substantially opened the ability of researchers to make the genome edits more quickly and more efficiently. And you've both mentioned how efficient CRISPR is. Um, I'm wondering, can it be scaled easily? Absolutely. In fact, researchers across the globe are using CRISPR in high-throughput scenarios using libraries of single-guide RNA to discover new drug targets and develop rapid diagnostics, including COVID-19, and an array of other applications. And Finling, since many of the listeners of this podcast have backgrounds in biopharmaceutical development, uh, what are the broad applications for CRISPR in these areas? Well, there are still many ways that CRISPR can impact the success of molecules by modifying or deleting the sequences within the product gene themselves to optimize the product for its intended therapeutic use. For viral vaccines in particular, CRISPR could be used to edit the genes encoding the protein code or the membrane of the virus so that it can deliver a greater immune response or to reduce the side effects in vivo. In the end, it's all about improving the molecules or vaccine to function more efficiently and increase its efficacy. In addition, as Zane just mentioned, up and down regulation of genes involved in the expression of proteins or involved in the post-translational modifications of the protein product are possible as well. How might one start to go about making these improvements? Well, so to do that, we simply need to understand well things need to be improved or can be improved. Most scientists today have the advantage versus years past knowing that CRISPR is in their molecular toolbox. It can make those changes quickly and easily. 
Thus, those changes can be evaluated at a much faster pace than ever before, including the improvement and applications to bioprocessing and biomanufacturing, that which I know we are going to talk about that later. Thank you so much for that insight. And Zane, besides Cas9, I've heard there are other Cas constructs. Could you tell us a little bit about those? Cas9 is currently the most widely known nuclease in CRISPR experiments, and more specifically, the Cas9 variant isolated from the bacterium Streptococcus pyogenes, or SPCas9. Although Cas9 is the most widely used for genome editing, it does have certain limitations. It is not 100% efficient, can have off-target effects, and is relatively large, making it at times difficult to deliver into cells using common vectors. And is there any way to get around this? Well, to overcome the limitations with Cas9, several approaches have been taken by researchers, including identifying other naturally occurring Cas enzymes, such as Cas12 or 14, but also performing genetic engineering directly on the Cas9 to produce a better, safer nuclease variant for genome editing. Also, to be clear, the comparison Lynn was just referring to is actually for larger gene editing tools. Um, site-directed single nucleotide mitogenesis still has a quite good utility and compared favorably to CRISPR-Cas9 for very small edits, but it's rather impractical from a time, resources, and cost perspective to larger edits that need to be made. So it cannot do all the various things that CRISPR-Cas9 can accomplish, especially when compared to its ease of use and costs. Thank you for that background. Um, that was really helpful. Uh, as we discussed prior to the podcast, there are some really great websites that detail exactly how CRISPR-Cas9 functions at the molecular level. Other sites provide an overview of the scientific and legal history, um, and we can provide those links in the podcast show notes that are available online. Um, so moving on, um, I want to uh, talk about, given this complex background, uh, Finling, what is Wuxi Biologics' approach to using CRISPR technologies? Well, historically, we have provided discovery and CDMO services to companies who are developing biologic therapeutics, and we specialize in providing technology platforms for cell line engineering and biomanufacturing. Thus, we are actually very interested in applying CRISPR in those areas. What are some of the applications of CRISPR-Cas9 in biologic development? From our perspective, which represents the interest of our clients as well, we are looking to optimize or address the situations surrounding three main areas. The first being to improve cell growth characteristics, which can greatly impact the eventual manufacturing of the biologic. The second is to improve the cell productivity and product titer which also has significant ramifications on manufacturing costs of goods. And the third, looking at ways to optimize or improve the product quality. That makes sense. Um, I'd like to go into detail on these three areas. Uh, Fenling, uh, how could CRISPR-Cas9 be used to help improve product quality? If we could use antibodies as an example, um, antibodies are very complex molecules, and sometimes certain individual monoclonal or bispecific antibodies can demonstrate high aggregation, or perhaps they break down in solution or in vivo. Thus, 
will cause a adverse immune responses or a drop in potency. In addition, perhaps there will be glycosylation profiles which cause adverse immune response events, or perhaps they are cleared from the body easily. So that's why CRISPR-Cas9 can help to fix those types of issues. Interesting. So Zane, how can CRISPR be used at the cellular level to improve biologics manufacturing? There are multiple ways CRISPR-Cas9 can be used to attack cell culture issues and genetically engineer production host cells by knocking out, knocking down, or inducing gene activity or protein expression. Editing the genome to improve an already well-established cell line is advantageous and cost-effective since these cell lines are well-characterized most often have acceptable and proven safety profiles and have demonstrated many times over to be effective producers. With the advent of CRISPR-Cas9 for gene editing, it has become easier and quicker than ever before to manipulate the genome of production host cells to improve their biopharmaceutical production. Well, I'd also like to add that the end goal for cell culture is to improve or modify the host cell robustness, growth rates, stability, and longevity. Certainly, the change in cell culture media and other physical culture parameters can have a positive effect on this as well, but they do have limitations with each production host cell line that can only be overcome through the cell line engineering, and that is where CRISPR can play a big role. Could you give some specific examples for listeners? Yeah, sure. So optimizations of parameters like regulating the cellular apoptosis to prevent the premature cell death. So you could also focus on like metabolic engineering genes, which can increase the cell cycles to achieve faster cell growth or productivity. A good example, well, CRISPR-Cas9 was utilized by researchers to knock out specific amino acid catabolism genes in CHO cells so that it can reduce the secretion of growth-inhibiting metabolic byproducts, for example, lactate and ammonia. And I just want to alert uh, everyone listening that the reference for that research will be provided in the show notes online. Um, Finling, are there any other examples? Yeah, absolutely. Another example of using CRISPR-Cas9 to induce the protein expression and also increase the product titer was when researchers using elements of Crelox system from the bacteriophage P1 and FLP-FRT system into eukaryotic cells to establish a site-specific target gene insertion into high-expression chromosome loci. Also, as mentioned previously, we can use CRISPR-Cas9 to obtain an ideal glycosylation pattern for recombinant protein. So this could be a common choice. And we actually have good experiences with engineering the cell lines by CRISPR-Cas9 to modify the protein glycosylation profile, which is very important for the biologic function of biopharmaceuticals. In addition, some researchers are evaluating how CRISPR-Cas9 could impact the use of chaperones and foldases to optimize protein assembly and folding, which may in turn help to improve cell productivity and product titer. To be clear, for all of the examples we've given, one must determine empirically if these genes can make an impact. 
Understood. These examples will certainly help everyone understand the variety of ways that CRISPR-Cas9 could be used. But if I can switch gears for our last topic, CRISPR is being used in clinical trials. Is that correct? Yes, it is currently being used in clinical trials similar to how CAR-T or other cellular or viral gene therapy approaches are being used. Even though there have been some early success, there may be many challenges to using CRISPR in vivo because of the CRISPR-Cas9 is considered foreign and thus immunogenicity and fast clearance are huge concerns, not to mention degradation of the complex in cells before it has an opportunity to act. One fascinating approach is that is being evaluated is tethering the CRISPR-Cas complex to a monoclonal antibody for site-directed delivery to a specific cell type, such as a tumor or other specific tissues. If I can play on acronyms, I say that this is an antibody delivery of CRISPR or the next ADC. Yeah, Brandy. So actually what Zane is saying is very interesting because creating CRISPR-Cas-based therapeutics is an interesting CMC and GMP manufacturing challenge from a supply chain perspective. There is the production of Cas protein, the guide RNA, which must be done GMP. But in the example they just gave, you will also need to manufacture the map and the linker and then conjugation of all the various components. So all of these elements add up to a very challenging CMC program and supply chain. And why do you say challenging? Most companies will not have the expertise to conduct all the activities. So you will have to outsource many of these activities and finding the expertise trying to coordinate this amongst all the different vendors, different CDMOs. This is actually a huge challenge. And this is exactly why we have brought all of those capabilities for all these elements into our organization. Wuxi Biologics, along with Wuxi STA, a Wuxi Appetite company, can produce the map, CAS, linkers, and guide RNA, and also perform the conjugation or within the facilities that are only a few hours from each other. So using our well-established project management program, we can be a single source for any company who are hoping to develop these novel CRISPR-based therapeutics. I hadn't thought through that aspect. Thank you for bringing that up. That's a really important point. Um, So at this point, I'd like to wrap up with one last question. How could companies hoping to use or make improvements to their cell lines and biologics work with you and determine if CRISPR-Cas9 is a feasible solution? At Wuxi Biologics, we recently took a research license from the Broad Institute on CRISPR-Cas9. Now we can offer it as a service for customers who are interested in using it for cell line engineering, for example. Yeah, it's very easy to get started. So just simply contact us and from there, describe your angle and myself along with our team of experienced cell line engineering scientists and also cell biologists already have a fair amount of hands-on experience working with CRISPR-Cas9. So we will work together and uh, collaboratively with you and help you to determine if first thing the use of CRISPR-Cas9 is even needed. And if so, we will conduct the work for you and together review the results and determine the next steps. 
Well, what a great topic today. Um, even though we could probably talk about CRISPR and its applications for hours, um, that wraps up our time with our panel of speakers today. So thank you, Finling and Zane, for your time today. Uh, great insight and a fantastic overview of the use of CRISPR-Cas9 in the biologic therapeutic space. I wish you well in all of your future endeavors for the benefit of biotech. Same to you, Brandy. Yeah, thank you, Brandy. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Cell Culture Dish podcast. To listen to other podcasts related to the discovery, development, and manufacture of biologics, please visit us at www.cellculturedish.com. And for downstream process topics, www.downstreamcolumn.com.